<laughs> I'm not sure about that name. But Crucifixion chicken? Yeah, we'll go with it. <laughs> Wrong with it. It's perfect. Uh, People love the crucifixion. Crucifixion's huge. I don't know if you've been around the world, but around the world, they love the crucifixion. You can probably do at religious event, events. They love it. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's selling crazy in the South. They love fried chicken and the Lord. Welcome to Muttering Pines, the show where we fumble our way through the outdoors and try and do stuff with our hands. All right. Hi, guys. Hello. Hi. Hey, you're in a different spot. I'm outside yeah. today. Yeah. And as you saw and Matt saw, because I called them earlier to test my connection, I've just recently put clothes on. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, during during the mic and audio, yeah, or the video and audio test, you were nude, and it was disturbing. So I why actually, is that? I was just hot. Okay, the true story, which I told Scott, is I really wanted to wear this shirt today. And, uh, and, um, I, I picked it up and I guess I wore it the other day when it was really hot out and it really smelled. So I Febreze it and I set it outside to air it out. So <laughs> yeah. you, I, uh, as, as a married man, you did bachelor laundry. Absolutely. Yeah. And then I walked in to get my power cable and Nick was on a video call. So I walked in there oh. half naked to her call. Awesome. As well. so what was, was her call about? Rocks, probably just probably rocks. Yeah. yeah. So I'm killing it today. Because <laughs> that's all she does, right? Just deals with rocks. Rocks. Uh, how are you guys doing? Uh, I've had better days, but I'm good oh. now. Okay. Is it because this is about to happen right here? Uh, no, that's what's going to make it better. Right, you're on AGD tonight. Now. Oh. So I. I am on, this was on sale at Superstore oh. mode. And when I did the math, because that's what I do now, it was uh, basically, it was between this and PBR, this gave me four to five free cans of beer. That's one more afternoon of drinking. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's like four to five minutes. More. More <laughs> <laughs> but now, unfortunately, now you're drinking AGD. I haven't had it. You know what? I don't mind it. And they, it, it. Last time I remember, you pulled the whole top off the yeah, can. Yeah, I've seen those for a while. They were good because you could see if the wasp right. was in there, and then you don't, what Matt had, where a wasp goes in your mouth. You know what? Because mm, that, that's bite probably on your what happened to the, to the cans. is the wasp lobby that originated at your cabin managed to convince big cans not to put wide mouth cans on anymore. <laughs> Yeah, you're killing. Uh, well, cheers, guys. Cheers. I have 88 Brewings uh, Lager. I don't know what is you can say. Nice. Shiki Menya. I don't know. So I'm going to shiki my Menya. Matt is out classic with a red That's solo awesome. cup. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good move. Well, I uh, I haven't pulled a draft off my keg in I don't know, like three weeks, and the tap had almost seized itself up. So it was almost have nothing. <laughs> Tonight's episode I, brought to you by Craft Brewing on 10th Avenue. Mm, yeah. So I need to clean my handle. <laughs> Basically, you're drinking dysentery at this point. <laughs> it was failing. No, I, I, I had to pour two beers through it. I was really kind of upset. Oh, See? 
Should have gone to Superstore. Those beers would have been free. That's right. True, fellas. Yeah, by the time you, you throw enough uh, draft down the drain, cans are quite cheap. Yeah, the value goes down, eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless you're drinking, like, uh, pitchers. Now there's... See, that I feel is something we need, like, more bars need to bring back. Remember pitchers where you could just sit down and get a jug of beer? You can just get fucked. Yeah. Did you ever do pitchers in your house? I've never done pitchers in my house. Why haven't I done it? Oh, no. We do it all the time. Because you buy cans. What are you going to get a pitcher of beer from? Lots of giant beer formats you can buy. You buy your own little keg things. You buy little things at Costco so you can have a keg in your house. Yeah. Don't you guys know a guy that runs cabin also, and gives you like free beer? Yeah. Also, we know somebody that owns a brewery. Oh. Yeah. And when I say free beer, I mean as he's listening now, free beer. <laughs> Hayden's Just, not listening. No. no. So because of that, I'm drinking Far's the, the Far Brewery in Turner Valley's uh, Hefeweizen. Oh, that's a great. Ooh, beer. That's good. Yeah. I love that yeah. Beer. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I haven't had that one in a while. That one's really good. Yeah. This is my like seventieth liter of it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that we've gone nice. to liters. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, fifty liter kegs. Perfect. The uh, the lady at the store asked me, "Do you want the the small like twenty thirty liter one?" I'm like, "No, no, no, full size." <laughs> don't don't be stupid, lady. <laughs> yeah. Come on, what do I look like? Yeah, do I yeah. look like you I've don't... ever drank out of anything less than 50 liters? This body is built by a keg. Come on. This... <laughs> it is a keg. Do you get asked if you're shoplifting every time you walk out? Hey, you got a keg under there? No, I'm just fat. <laughs> Sweet. What is it, episode seven and we're on to fat shaming. That's good. <laughs> Um, I thought we'd start off by answering questions and oh. going over comments from our YouTube channel and social. Should oh, be, this is a... Should be short. And I, let's get the pen and paper going. Yeah, okay, we're done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I couldn't believe that we met people that had watched this last Yeah. And I was like, well, oh, we watched it? I'm sorry. I can't believe we met friends of ours that <laughs> watched I can't believe they're still talking to you. That's they want to do a crossover with us, actually. Yeah, I couldn't believe that. Why on yeah. earth would anyone want us near their legitimate podcast? Yeah, no. Uh, shameless plugging is all I can imagine. I think we should do it. Though. Yeah, totally, absolutely. I, doing the wrong thing is basically my mo. Let's do that. Um, but today we have our first, first guest. Can you believe it? I can't believe anyone agreed to it, but I'll tell you the story. Here's what happened. This is how we got our guest. Cause honestly, we never thought this would ever happen or we'd ever see this person. I was cooking. I was going to cook on the fire, I fired up my fireplace, fireplace, my fire ring. And I had it ready to go. And then I was thinking, you know what? My my cousin has like this bumper sticker, not a bumper sticker, but a window sticker that has like herbs on it and like a heart and like a salt shaker. 
And I asked her, I'm like, what is that? Like, is this like a cooking thing? And she's like, no, no, it's a spell from, I don't know. I, I forgot. It's... Anyway, I was like, oh, I could try my hand at some magic. And uh, maybe I can make something interesting happen. And so I mixed together rosemary, sage, a potato, some Guinness, mm-hmm. a little bit of KY. And then I threw it in the fire, and you know what happened? Yes. Through my back gate walked our good friend Alan. And he's here now. And in, he's going to come talk. Maybe not now that I've done that. but In how many pieces is Alan? One. What? He floats, <laughs> he floats a lot now. I'm a singular piece now. Fuck, you're, you're just Bye. as ugly as I remember. But Yeah. <laughs> I have just as much white hair in my beard as you. Well, almost. Death uh, has not been good to you. <laughs> I can't believe you've been dead for a year and a half and still managed to have a baby. Yeah. I don't know how that... Anyone can do it. Did you freeze yeah. your spunk? You froze your spunk, didn't you? No, he lost that in the fire. It was... Uh, uh, I think his <laughs> wife is cheating on him. Just, <laughs> just saying. Or did he go full ghost dad? Oh, Oh, ghost yeah. yeah, I know Bill, that one's got layers because Bill Cosby raped her. No <laughs> one, and then what? It was all a dream <laughs> because Bill Cosby put me to sleep. Oh. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, Alan. Yeah, of course. And not being dead anymore. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, it's quite the resurrection. Uh, is anything I want to be re- resurrected for? It was uh, to come on your podcast for sure. You yeah. probably should have stayed dead. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you're I mean, also a of attention. <laughs> you're also a terrible liar. I, you're right. I am. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal, brutal honesty is my MO, so sorry about that. Sorry about that. The reason I wanted to have Alan on was, one, so that he could not be dead anymore. It's getting weird. And two, Alan is a outdoor cooking aficionado, I would say. And for, for good reason. Hmm. Outdoor cooking aficionado. I've never been described as that before, but you can add that to your MySpace bio. Certainly, uh, certainly enjoy it. Yeah, for sure. But you used to be a chef. I was. You are a fully chef. trained chef, like fully, fully trained chef for six years. Three of those years working under uh, Michelin star winning chef in uh, a hotel that is voted. Um, Best small hotel in the world, numerous times, still is. Jesus. Ashford Castle in the west of Ireland. Shameless plug there for those guys. But. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure all our watchers and listeners in Ireland will rush right to it when we <laughs> send it not there. Honestly, I, I just want everybody to Google it and look at it because it is that spectacular. Not it sounds I work. <laughs> and now they can have the tagline. Most resurrected chefs. Yep. Yeah, that's true. One. <laughs> Still the most. Still the most. Still the most. 
But um, yeah, worked as a chef for six years and all credit to people who are still chefs. Um, it's a crazy, crazy lifestyle. Um, but uh, you know what? The lifestyle didn't suit me, but cooking is still a big passion of mine. And then, um, you know, start getting out into the woods, middle of nowhere, somewhere nice, light a fire and cook there. That's, uh, that's real. So that was it. The jump was that simple. Like you just, you had to cook outside and you were like, remember your training and, and then went to it. Um, how do you, how do you mean the jump in like quitting being a chef to yeah. cooking out as a hobby? Yeah. So it was like the business of being a chef was just not for you, but the act of cooking totally for you. And you decided taking it outdoors was, was the shit. Yeah. Yeah, so no, that wasn't instantaneous at all, right? That was uh, basically being a chef was a, a terribly hard life, and I'm a pretty social person. I like to hang out with people and you know have a good time and catch up with friends and make sure everyone's doing good. That's really difficult as a chef, especially and being dead, like very difficult when you were dead. You know, you can go visit them whenever you want. They just know, don't know you're there when you're dead, right? <laughs> so. You're doing just fine. I'm not going to tell anyone what I've seen you do. Uh, <laughs> your quick trips to the garage on a regular basis. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, so quit being a chef just because the lifestyle was not great. It, it didn't work for me. Um, but, you know, still love to cook. And the big thing was, all right, so I was born and raised in Canada or in Ireland, have moved to Canada at 24, have been here now for uh, 13 years or something. But I think uh, in Canada, what I really discovered was actual wilderness, getting outside, going somewhere where there's nobody else around and really enjoying the outdoors. You don't get to do that in Ireland because as soon as the sun shines in Ireland, everybody's outdoors, right? And and all the beautiful places are, are pretty busy and uh, it's kind of hard to, hard to get that and a real uh, idyllic, isolated spot. Is that like three home. times a year then? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so the equivalent of cooking out, outdoors at home in Ireland is uh, probably sitting with another, uh, you know, 200 people on a beach with one of those little Weber charcoal barbecues beside you, cooking something while people are running into the water. So, not, not the worst, but it's not, not maybe what I do nowadays. Right. Wow. But um, yeah, I guess moving on from there. Yeah, it's just uh, always love the cooking. That that love never died. And then getting to to light a fire outdoors and and really look after it and get get all the temperature right. There's a lot of parts of cooking on a fire that I really enjoy. Managing the temperature is the, the hardest part of it, probably. So uh, that's really really intensive it's you got to really focus on it so quite enjoy that aspect of it i think that's great because like what do they say the easiest way to kill something you love um is when they're sleeping no uh (laughs) watch out my family just kidding watch out um the easiest way to kill something you love is to turn it into a profession right like try to make a job out of it so the fact that you came out of uh, uh, being a chef and still have the passion for food is is really good. Right, right. Because I think a lot yeah. of people who are just like, fuck this and 
you know, oh yeah, would marry someone who cooks. So they're like, no, I'm not touching that shit again. Yeah, there are many chefs I know, our ex chefs I know that came out and were just like, yeah, whatever. And it's just like McDonald's for life. Yeah, seriously. Like <laughs> I, I know a guy who uh, he did like um, he worked at some really high end restaurants and did a week's, um, you know. Uh, I forget the term for it, but basically uh, it happens quite often in the, in the uh, cooking industry where you go to a phenomenally high-rated restaurant and you go in and say, hey, I want to work for you for free for a week or a month or six months, um, depending on what your budget allows. But this guy went worked at Noma, highest-rated restaurant in the world, and the guy now is just, like quite happy to um, just eat garbage, um, go to lunchroom and, uh, you know, heat up uh, a microwave meal and what and it's like how how do you get so far from that so definitely lucky to maintain the passion <laughs> it was that bad of an experience maybe yeah yeah totally. what was the what was the first thing you ever like cooked on the fire and you were like i fucking nailed it first thing i ever cooked on the fire and I nailed it marshmallow ah uh, yeah totally s'mores didn't <laughs> didn't discover them until i came to canada um that's not an irish thing yeah, no, not not really. Well, we, I, it's it's camping food, right? Camping in Ireland's fucking hard. Excuse the language. <laughs> oh yeah, please mind your fucking language. <laughs> <laughs> camping in Ireland is uh, really difficult. So um, there are no great camping traditions. The people who camp in Ireland are 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 real, uh, you know, uh, out there folk who are really just trying to make it work at all costs. It's not a it's not a thing where you go. I'm going to go camping. And I'm going to do all the things I like. No, you're oh. you're in survival mode because you're going to get like flooded or right. away or blown right. off the island of Ireland, whichever. All the camping in Ireland is accidental. Yeah, it is. You fell in the ditch on the way home from the pub and just <laughs> camping. That's just where you live now. Ditch yeah. camping. You can. You can tell right now by where Matt's looking. He's clearly Googling where Ireland is. <laughs> <laughs> what is Ireland? It's, <laughs> it's that little island right next to Australia, right? Is that next to Cardston with car stairs? It's the Canadian side of England. <laughs> oh, I like that. I'm an idiot, yeah. but not that stupid. <laughs> well, I don't know. Uh, so to your question anyway, Scott, um, I oh, think... Yeah. I think one of the one of the first opportunities I got a really opportunity to cook in a really good fire and just really big and and this place was it was pretty fancy it had like a full tent over it and everything so you could you could go there when you know the old Albertan storms rolled in and they inevitably did but we were in there cooking and and you know I got this idea that we had some friends coming out the next day and we had some chickens and uh and i was like oh i've got to do these over the fire but i tried cooking you know i didn't want to do beer can chicken that's a good old traditional north american thing i think for sure i want to do something a bit different so you step it up with a turducken i could have done but i didn't choose that route either i think you know where i'm going with this you uh what do you call it you gave it a name i never the crucifixion had a, chicken a crucifixion chicken yeah <laughs> oh, well, that's excellent so, I- so, How have you not already conquered all hipster chicken joints with that? <laughs> the crucifixion chicken, yeah. Well, I guess the way it pre- presented on its cross and everything, yeah, like sure to be a winner. But yeah, basically, I I uh, wanted we didn't have a rack on the fire, 
and I wanted a way of cooking the chicken so to stay, you know, juicy and not not like just char it like right in there. So um, yeah, came that's, up with like a. That's how I would cook it. Went and got a a, a few <laughs> like a few like branches off a tree and rigged up this like double crucifix and winged and tied the wings and legs on there with a with a actual steel fixers tying wire like. I don't know. It's probably fine after hours in the fire. Nobody died in this. So it's <laughs> you. No, except me. That, that, that was the slow. You... Yeah. Alan, did you see footage of cooking this year where we had like stuff stuck between logs that definitely had termites in them and shit? Like, there's. Yeah, cooking on the fire is real safe. Oh, it is. Everything's dying. Everything's burning. It'll be fine. Yeah. Get and... extra protein if nothing else. Exactly. That's right. A few termites, a little seasoning. But yeah, anyway, set up that steak, that chicken, hanging it over the fire and just like kind of kept it, kept it rotating. And, and it took a while. Like I was still learning a bit then about like how best to cook it. Cause I think, um, uh, a lot of people initially think, uh, oh, you know, flames are good. You're cooking over the fire. Get the flames going. That'll do it. Well, all of a sudden you've got crispy chicken skin and nothing's happening on the inside. You got a chicken that looks cooked but it's totally raw. So like, you know, took my time, figured it out. That wasn't working. So backed off the initial flames, got some coals there and, you know, kept it rotating and just like, you're getting like the genuine smoke exposure of the fire, that nice long, slow cook, keeping it moist by keeping it turned. And that's probably the, the best thing I ever cooked on the fire. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. So what is it that works about the double crucifixion? That sounds why does why that make you know um you know um how, like spatchcocking the chicken so you're kind of cutting down the back of the chicken to spread it out kind of flat yeah and when you get it flat right so instead of having big areas of lots of meat if you know what i mean when a chicken is in its natural form you have it flattened so you have a more even cooking surface so everything's getting uh -huh. more evenly so you're not getting like areas that are really cooked and areas that are still totally freaking raw you know what i mean you got it right. spread out and it's uh and and that's what you're doing you're pinning it up to the kind of four points so it's spread out pretty flat and uh just like bill cosby yeah right no <laughs> sleepy chickens <laughs> oh man i have to edit the shit out of this one <laughs> why the fucking guy's a rapist yeah fair <laughs> who gives a shit yeah, that's okay. Yeah, fire guy. What a guy. Um, so, so wait, I, that, that was your I, first thing you cooked on a fire was a whole chicken. I wouldn't. I probably wasn't. <laughs> probably wasn't my first, <laughs> but it was the first thing that like got me really, really thinking about it because like I probably even, you know incinerated a few things like experimenting. I think Darren knows when, when I get cooking and I start imagining, and my wife for sure knows, I get an idea in my head about how something's supposed to be. I really want to work hard at getting what, what's in my head, right? So I think as I built up this passion for cooking over the fire, that was maybe the, the turning point where I was like, oh man, like if you really give this lots of time and effort, I can see that there are so many really great things you can cook. So probably screwed around a bit up to then but that was a point where i was like oh you know if you really pay attention when you're doing this you're going to turn out like food that's going to impress everyone and that's the thing and i think it should be for everyone who's cooking if you're cooking all good and well feeding yourself and it tastes good but 
we really want the people we're cooking for to go, oh, that was awesome. I've never had a crucifix chicken before, and that was really good. <laughs> totally. I'm not sure about that name. But Crucifixion chicken? Yeah, we'll go with it. <laughs> What's wrong with it? It's perfect. Uh, people love the crucifixion. The crucifixion's huge. I don't know if you've been around the world, <laughs> but around the world, they love the crucifixion. You've got pictures of it everywhere. At religious event, events, they love it. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. It'd sell like crazy in the South. They love fried chicken and the Lord. Yeah, you're in there eating the body of Christ in little biscuit form. How's about having them in chicken form? Yeah, on the cross. Yeah. And to them, you sound like the goddamn Pope. So that's... <laughs> um, so I know, like, Scott likes to cook over the fire. Which yeah. Can. I know Matt also enjoys... I look, fire. Yeah, I, I I enjoy to drink around a fire, and I enjoy making the fire, and I enjoy watching other people cook around the fire. Well, that's not true because you do. It's not like fire per se, but you um, heavily are into smoking. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like you've done, like you make your own bacon, which is fucking bananas. It's the the best. Bacon. It is. Once sure. you once you have that shit, you can't ever go back to the store bought garbage. Yeah, everything yeah. tastes like shit. But yeah, I like. I have a Traeger. I don't usually do uh, like a charcoal fire because it's. I like doing briskets and pulled pork and stuff, and it takes, you know, like eighteen hours on a charcoal fire to properly cook that stuff. And I used to, and it, you'd spend a day and a half doing all this, and it was just like it was too much. So now the new machines that you just press a button and go and it, it tastes the same, does the same, and you just put pellets in. It's much nicer. Yeah, I got I to gotta say, oh. I, I have a cold smoker that myself and my dad built when he was over here a few years ago. And so I do it for uh, doing smoked salmon. So kind of, I think over here it's called locks more, so it's cold smoke, so it stays that really nice kind of almost like sushi salmon color it's not cooked through but um yeah the big thing about that that i would agree with as well matt is that one needs so much management like because it's it's a natural fire that we a fireplace we built with a keg off to the side oh yeah and you're like constantly monitoring that and moving that in accordance to the uh in accordance to the temperature in the smoke box and it's just like I don't have time for that anymore. I can definitely uh, see the value in a uh, in like something that does does all the uh, thinking for you. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, I was uh, I was told by a friend today that there's a uh, you know those ceramic egg style um, uh, uh, charcoal yeah. cookers, mm -hmm. the green eggs yeah. and all the other stuff. So he said there's a because those things require a lot of maintenance too, like you know tending to the temperature. Not, near as much as that cold smoke one but he said there's a, a like a bolt-on fan kit that's bluetooth controlled and a, you put a probe in it and the, it'll blow air into the box and like help ignite the coals to bring the temperature up or it'll choke it off if it gets too hot what? That's and so i thought that was pretty cool because charcoal flavor you just can't beat like nothing tastes better than a charcoal flavored well fucking anything but but that would be cool to have as something that could reduce the amount of effort on a charcoal fire well i did or we did uh along with my stepdad and probably most of the supervising 
we did a brisket on the big green egg right when we were in bc and that thing was phenomenal yeah. really really yeah. good because you have that well and it's just like it's not even like did he put charcoal in it i think he just put wood it was just wood wasn't it I think there might have been charcoal initially, yeah. Whatever he did anyway. And to be fair, I remember the process. I mean, he was very anal, anal about the yeah. process. And so by following his process, he was 100% right at the end of the day. You and I were kind of yeah. like, this guy's like really overdoing it. He's really into this to the point that I'm not sure if it makes a difference. But by the end of that cook, it was like, yeah, he, he knew what he was talking about. And we we listened and it worked. So it's like... It's, it's achievable on the big green egg, even without the little Bluetooth thing. But but you're sitting there. You're sitting there. You are. He, yeah, and and we went off to do something. He's like, well, I guess I got to stay here. Yeah. He stayed there, like, watching it and and, and kind of gave us a tell him off when we got back because temperatures started to change and we should have been there to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, to be, fair, to be fair, he had that process dialed down. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, if you can figure that out, it's... The big green egg's a good one for sure. But yeah, I feel like I feel like you guys could do a whole one on smoking alone, right? Probably. Yeah, I have a propane and pellets smoker. I love it. I do whole chickens in there often, and if it hits minus twenty, I do cheese in it, and that's smoked cheese. Yeah, so the cold smoker. Yeah. Um, whenever I, whenever I get a few salmon and put it into that. Um, cheese, garlic, and salt is what I also put in there. Yeah, yeah smoked smoke salt. Smoked salt on game meat is the best way to take a game meat hint off it. When was the last time you bagged yourself some game meat, Scott? A few years ago. <laughs> Before you got your smoker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I remember, because I... I like to cook and then I was starting to get into you know doing more stuff on the outdoors and then this guy came along and was really pushed me to do that but now like the young kids are making me not able to do that because you it's, know it's it's you, for, you can't. it's for sure hard and obviously yeah. when uh when you mentioned uh me coming on here I started thinking about some of the things about say cooking over a fire that are really important be able to give something useful to the conversation and not just come here and drink beer. <laughs> but that's what we do. But, uh, yeah. And that's also a good aspect of it. Uh, cheers to that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, th- I thought about a few things anyway, and, and that kind of ties into what you're saying. With it's, it's difficult, right? But, again, the thing I like about it is, okay, there's a few things I really like in, in life. It's like ride, riding motorcycles, snowboarding let's say them for example the thing i really like about both of those things are that you need to focus fully on what you're doing and even if you're pissed off having a shitty day you're doing either of those two things you're fully focused on what you're doing shitty days behind you you're not thinking about it and i found that cooking really well on a fire is very similar right you need to give it yeah. a lot of attention and a lot of focus and if you give it all that attention and focus you I, I find it quite relaxing in the end. And so, um, yeah, a few of the things I kind of thought about that um, are really important are, uh, first and foremost, if you want to cook in a fire, I think you need to be getting that fire going probably a good hour before you want to start cooking anything. So you're 
you're not like turning on a gas hob or, or you know, turning on a barbecue, anything like that. You're you're getting out there, you're getting a fire going, getting plenty of wood in there and uh, starting to make some coals, right? And uh, the reason you want to get your coals going is, um, you know, again, cooking over an actual open flame is... Uh, is risky business. You can really char something on the outside and have it totally raw on the inside, and it's it's inedible, and you're you're kind of screwed. And uh, you know, meat nowadays is quite expensive, and we don't want to be wasteful, right? So, get the fire going early, get it making lots of coals, and you know, once you've got a good good uh, bunch of coals off to one side, you know, keep another keep the fire going off to the side, making more coals. So you're constantly feeding feeding that area that you're cooking in. so I think that is uh that's something that I overlooked a few times I've kind of like all right put a match on it and here we go with the flank steak and I'm like oh crap we're we're all out of control here you know so try and uh try and get the fire going early was uh the thing I thought about the most probably mm -hmm. um but to counter that a little bit and mostly because probably I'm doing it wrong I actually I found with cooking with the chapa which for the nobody listening is just a giant cast iron griddle, yeah. grill, and yeah, it's a griddle. It's yeah, a griddle on it's the greatest cooking implement ever devised by people. Matt yeah, Matt, Matt made mine, um, and it's fantastic. And yeah, it goes over the fire. But I found that you don't have to get the coals going because the heat from the fire heats up the chapa and then you just move the fire and find your warm and right cold spots and you can start a steak within 15 minutes to right get like that sear or you can start your vegetables and move them off to the side and like pile them under some wood to make like a fake oven and it just keeps the heat in and for sure yeah so and i mean alan when you're this... when you're cooking alan are you cooking on a, a pan or, or are you cooking like on the open fire are you like what are you cooking kind on of... for a I'm, I'm typically, especially if I'm going like very focused, like I'm cooking a big meal on the fire, I could be using any number of things. You know, you could have something similar to a chapa going, you know, you might have some stuff on that. You might, I, I love getting a rack over the fire. I think anyone that camps with me, even at a campground, they're like, oh, here comes Alan, what is rack? And he's going to cook everything over the fire on that rack. And I, I like, you know, and, and it's literally a, like, I, I think it's a real, I found this like really old, um, uh, like cooling rack for cooling off bacon or something, but it's like old as hell. So it's like heavy gauge. They weren't like skimping on the metal. So just slap that right on there. And, you know, you're, you're, you're grilling the steak on there, doing some burgers on there. Making fried eggs. Do. Yeah. Fried eggs right through. <laughs> Two eggs. Oh, oh yeah, right. Two eggs, one handed. I forgot that was, you a, that. that was a goddamn miracle. But it isn't even that, Alan. When you do it, you throw them at the grill, like a like just pop pop, and then pop pop. And it's amazing because they all land in exactly the same size. And I, I, because I eat like a fucking terrible person, I was like, oh, those are exactly the right size for an egg McMuffin when he does that. That was what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So uh, to what you're talking about there, Scott, is uh, um, an old chef trick that I had when I had to do uh, 
when I had to do breakfast shifts and I think every chef that's ever done a breakfast shift learns this trick pretty early. It's how to, how to crack two eggs at one time, one in each hand. And you're like, you're, I don't know, you're cracking a lot of eggs a minute at that pace. So, but, uh, yeah, anyway, Matt, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I like, like once you get the fire going, I like, uh, any number of, uh, any number of, uh, you know, methods of cooking on there. And um, like you know, you're throwing vegetables just right, right, like a uh, acorn squash, acorn squash, right, right into right the in fire. There. Like, well, not dead in the flames, but like, no, he's holding it with his hand in the flame. He's just dead. dead. <laughs> That's right, listeners. The way to do it, according is, to Alan, hold on and never let go until in, you're dead. In the fire pit, around the edge, not in the yeah. flame, but. Yeah, and so that was another thing I thought about saying, like, you know, you go to all this effort, getting the coals going and everything, you wanna you wanna use all that heat. So like, yeah, as as you said, the acorn squash is one I, I really like to do. Um, you know, scoop that thing out, put some cream cheese, arugula, salt, pepper in there. You got like a really nice side for any sort of red meat. Um, but any kind of root vegetable, get it in around there. If you're cooking for long enough, it's gonna it's gonna steam in its own skin and get really really delicious and lovely and get the the kind of char on the outside definitely influences the flavor so really good the other thing is um you know you got the fire going right and say you're focused on your steak or whatever the meat is really easy like yeah you're doing a steak and you want to do some onions and mushrooms chop them up wrap them in maybe two layers of tinfoil some butter salt and pepper herbs in there throw that into one side of the fire by the time you're done screwing around with your steak and everything, that's done as well. So it's like use use all that heat that you you made so much, put so much effort into generating. So yeah, I've I have no favorite though. But yeah, I do like the I do like the wire rack. Yeah. So sure. if you could only bring one thing, you'd bring a wire rack. Oh yeah, yeah. I have like I have one in my uh, I have one in my my truck. I have one in my truck and a little uh, hatchet because. Yeah, I don't know. You, you could pass a store, pick up a burger, run like pull up somewhere nice and chop up a bit of wood, light a fire, grill it on there. Pretty easy. I don't know. That's the wire rack for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I have a fold-out one from Canadian Tire. It's the cheapest piece of shit in the world, but it, it's exactly what I need. I think that that's the one I have in my truck. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's like literally a rack yeah. with kind of two fold-out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it just like goes super yeah. flat. I think it's like under the mat in there. So, um, yeah. yeah. Up, at, up at our place, didn't we find you wanted a rack over the fire pit? I'm like, I don't know. And we found in the woods amongst like some metal rubbish, it was like an old uh, oven rack, like from an oven. So we just literally oh, awesome. pulled it out of the bushes. It was it was stainless steel, so we just got it out there and just got it on the fire and let it burn the hell out of it so that it's pretty safe. And yeah, we used that. That was really good. We cooked lamb on it, I think, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Lamb on the bush grill. <laughs> the Allen story. That's yeah. uh, that's part two to the crucifix chicken. There you go. <laughs> so, Alan, I think I know the answer because we have a shared. Chef-based man crush. But what are your biggest like inspirations in terms of other chefs? 
Um, yeah, so to, to talk about who you're talking about, definitely the biggest man crush in the world is on uh, Francis Malman. And, uh, you know, he's written many a book on cooking over fires and uh, and just has so many phenomenal... And gazing at women in the nude. Yeah, yeah, taking sun in the nude. <laughs> Watching the French women taking sun in the nude, something like that. Yeah, they weren't sunbathing, they were taking sun. That that sort of that sort of phrase there oh catches your uh, catches your attention. <laughs> yeah. He also cooks. He, he also cooks to an extremely high level. And uh, one of the things that I really liked uh, the original thing that kind of intrigued me a lot about him being a bit of a crazy bastard, like he's so passionate about food, and his thing that he is so passionate about is uh, potatoes. So I was instantly hooked. Obviously, being an Irishman. But um, he uh, he entered a, a cooking competition in France and uh, and you know had been there uh, working before and thought the potatoes are crap up there. So he smuggles suitcases of potatoes in earth in from uh, Patagonia and Argentina to France, cooked potato dishes for the judges and won and was regarded as one of the best chefs in the world from just cooking potatoes. He smuggled potatoes. Yeah. What a so, um, good story. yeah, on Chef's Table on Netflix, he's on the first season. And so for me, anyway, didn't know too much about him, but watched that episode. And it's like, I, I was, I was, uh, I was, uh, living with a friend at the time. It was just like, we're, we're lighting a fire in the backyard. Let's go. Yep. Let's go. And it was like, all right, we're going to the grocery store, we're getting this. And we, we, I watched that episode and we cooked on the fire immediately after i think that's yeah. what anyone who enjoys cooking and watches that episode does yeah that's what i did yeah. like he changed the way i cook for sure yeah like if he's taught me anything it's like all you need is olive oil salt maybe some lemon and then just ingredients and fire yeah and like everything is possible he, he has great theories and a giant like, fucking thing of wine always a giant thing of wine and many many Women running around, taking sun, taking sun, <laughs> sun in the nude. But, yeah, he is. He has great theories that kind of change the flavor of my food when I was cooking on the fire, and and the, those are um, that one of them is that burnt is a flavor. That's the biggest one. He's like burnt is a flavor. So everybody's thinking like, oh, you're getting something, you get a really heavy char on the outside, and that that's a that's a terrible thing. Well, it's it's really not. And you kind of discover that, like, you know, you really let things get that char on them. And it's just all flavor. And it's, mm-hmm. oh, it's, it, that, that, was, that was something I, I definitely learned after being a chef. Like, you know, let things go that little bit further. Let them get that bit browner, bit crispier. Yeah. And the, I think an easy visualization of that is if you take, like, bell peppers, like red or yellow peppers. Even yeah. just put them on your barbecue. And when they start getting, like... Uh, um, like nickel, like coin-sized black blisters on them, then they're good. And like you normally wouldn't let them get like that, but then you mm-hmm. do, and yeah, you're just like, oh wow, like the flavor is just like, wow, just like sugar. That oh. only works when they're whole. No, if you cut them, well, if you cut them, it tastes. Like I, I've done it both it's ways. Way there's there's a lot of sugars and everything that come come out once you start really getting the char on things. It's good. But yeah, 
Francis Mammon, like for anyone that wants to cook over a fire, like there's not a not a thing that I could say or Darren could say or anyone could say that that uh, he couldn't uh, point you in a better direction. To be honest, he's phenomenal, phenomenal. Anyone else? Um, there, uh, you know, his name evades me. There's two guys, their name names evade me, which is unfortunate because I'm just terrible with names. Clearly, they're such an inspiration. There's a, the guy in Australia. Maybe you can put it in the notes or something. There's a guy in Australia. He, he did some really crazy stuff over fire. I see the guy that his mantra was like, there should never be a grill mark right. on meat. Yeah. yeah, that's the guy. I, I apologize. That's, that's, that's bad content there. I don't know the guy's name. I Fuck it. And it. And it. End it there. Never a grill mark. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, there's, there's a few. But like at the end of the day, you know, I think you could look at any any recipe that doesn't require an oven. Like once you start looking at oven based recipes, it gets a little bit more difficult. You know, you can do some you know breads and uh, you know uh, Dutch ovens or whatnot. But anything that you know is typically you know grilled or or even fried, you know. Um, you know, you can figure out ways of doing them on the fire pretty easily, and uh, makes it pretty fun. Yeah. So if I'm headed out to the woods, yeah, camping or my backyard or in the alley, I don't know wherever, and I'm going to cook. What are the main things I need to make a successful meal on the fire? Okay. Um... Okay, so uh, one of the things, obviously, you know, you've got all that heat there. You've got your your pan or whatever situated. You've got your grill, your chapa, whatever situated. And you know, if 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 things aren't quite right there, um, you know, having some way of picking up your cooking things and moving them is important. So I I quite often have uh, just. Uh, one of those uh, silicone um, oven gloves, just oh, okay. pretty handy to move that around. Um, I, I go that way because it's a given, right? You, you're going to have a pan, you're going to have a chapa or some sort of rack for grilling on, right? That That's a given. Um, I guess maybe it's not. You could also just poke something with a stick and hang it over a fire. Or Cruci- cave crucifix chicken. Crucifix chicken, yeah. You know, so the, the glove is important. Uh, I think, you know... If you really want to take advantage of the heat and, you know, try and move things around, it's handy to have. I think, you know, just having utensils to move things is just important in general. So you're moving your your, uh, your grills or your cooking apparatus with the glove, but then just, you know, a set of uh, tongs or, um, you know, even a, even a meat fork or something for flipping, flipping stuff is pretty important. I think uh, real men just use their hands. They they do they do, but you know what? Uh, and I do too quite often. But you know what? Sometimes you get some people going like holding the squash in them. Yeah, yeah, like holding the squash in them. Once you've done that once, you can pick anything up. Yeah, with yeah. your stump. Anything. Right. Yeah, it's, it's all known after that. It's all known when you're. When Darren adds this, and and we ask the question about the first thing you did on a fire. He's going to edit it, so you're just like, and then I just held the squash in the fire, <laughs> and that's that's going to be your whole. Yeah. Um, the other one that that I think would be, you know, maybe some purists of fire cooking would find controversial, and you know, chefs might find controversial, but 
I I swear by it because you know what? So it's a thermometer, okay? It's a meat thermometer. Uh, and I swear by it because you know what? Meat is damn expensive these days. And it's too expensive to be overcooked, right? So, and that can happen really easily on the fire. You know, you, you everybody gets surprised with how much heat you get out of some really good coals, right? But, um, you know, back in the day when I was a chef, everyone was like, oh, you should be able to you figure out doneness by, you know, touching a steak or whatnot. But, yeah, like the... Yeah, there's the... the palm your the, hand. The, the palm your hand technique or, yeah, or whatnot. But to be quite honest, you know... Meat is too expensive, and, and that can be not totally accurate. So I use it all the time. I use a thermometer all the time because I put all this effort in, and I want it to be perfect, and the last thing I want to do is sit down after two, three hours cooking something on the fire and go, holy shit, I overcooked it. Mm-hmm. It got dry. So That's- what's, your meat, what's your meat thermometer? Which, which thermometer do you have? Because... There's a massive variety of the fucking things in many of them. Honestly, I think our one is like a, a, a twenty or thirty dollar little digital one, probably bought up. And yeah. Like just, with the like cable. No, it's not even. It's the... it's like it's um it's just the the meat probe with with the little digital head on top. So it's super small, super convenient. Okay. Yeah. Um, just right. just easy to easy to use, easy to have in your pocket, and kind of poke something, check it out. And uh, I guess one thing to be clear on, like with a with a meat thermometer, you know, once you're once you're seeing that temperature come within ten degrees of where you want that food to be, um, you know, you're you're real close to needing to take that off. You're going to get a maybe another uh, six to eight degrees Celsius after taking it off, after taking it off the heat source, where where the heat just continues migrating in, and so. You could get overcooked there. Don't go dead nuts on that cooked temperature that you're shooting for. Pull it a little early, and it's going to cook and settle in its juices, and it's going to be perfect. But resting, that's you're you're recommending resting, resting the meat. Yeah, resting. But the important fact is that you're actually taking it off a bit early, mm-hmm. and so so that the final part of the cooking also happens while it's resting. Right? Well, shouldn't you rest? Rest for approximately the amount of time that you cooked, give or take, depending on the, on obviously the, like if you're slow cooking something, you're not going to rest it eight hours, but. Honestly, you know what? I see all the benefits of, of resting like eight to 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, eight to 10 minutes. I, I like after that, I think like, you know, if you're, you're noticing the difference of 20 minutes as opposed to three minutes or whatnot more power to you but i think like eight to ten minutes and you know what you pull off that steak and you're pulling out your sides or whatever steak whatever you're cooking you're pulling out your sides or every usually by the time you've got everything else situated and everything else finished off that that meat is perfectly rested what do you do in a michelin star restaurant then for resting time like is there do you guys have like prescribed times like you pull the meat off the grill and it's going to sit for a time or you kind of follow the same rule of thumb uh, for us, it was like, you know, it, it, it was that five to ten minutes, eight to ten minutes okay. at a time. Yeah. By the time it's played and gets to the fucking customer, it's yeah. been ten minutes. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, the important, like, I, w- I, I think the important thing is to know that resting does matter um, in terms of the science around it and, and the perfect time for it. 
I wouldn't stress about that too much, but do not pull something off the grill and go, here you go, or slice it and give it to them immediately. Just give it a few minutes. Give it a few minutes. Whether it's five minutes, whether it's 20 minutes, it's going to be happier for it. Resting is important. I don't, think, I don't feel like I'm qualified to give you the science of perfection in resting. Don't worry, nobody's listening. Yeah. I'm not going to go to gym. <laughs> so, Darren. So, Matt, when you do. When, what? Uh oh. What? We tried to talk to each other at the same time. Yeah. That connection. So, when you were saying resting something you slow cooked for hours and hours and hours, I found with my brisket that it's better to eat brisket at closer to room temperature than hot. And sometimes yeah. it takes an hour or more to rest that thing. Cause if, hmm. I don't know, for me, when I slice into brisket, it's usually like juice central everywhere. But if I let it rest, yeah. then it more sets up and it's still, it's still warm. It's not cold by any means. And you can, uh, you can basically just eat it with your fingers. Like you don't, you don't have to eat it with a knife before cause it's too hot to touch. Yeah, and there's a, a recipe I, I, I follow for um, prime rib from uh, Matty Matheson that he taught me in person. I bought his cookbook. I don't know him. Um, but the point is you rest it for 45 minutes when you're done cooking. So you cook for just over an hour, and then you wrap it... Um, I mean, like, full disclosure is basically the whole fucking recipe. Is this a brisket? No, this is a, a prime rib, like Ooh, a prime sorry, rib right. roast. So you, you cook it for, you season the hell out of it, cook it at 500 for 10 minutes, and then you turn it down to 300 and leave it for an hour. And then you pull it out and you wrap it as tight as you can in saran wrap and let it rest for 45 minutes. Oh, yeah? And it is fucking perfect every single time. Saran wrap? And uh, it's, yep. it's perfect because you get to eat the whole thing because your whole family has gone to McDonald's because they're starving to death. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, funny, it's funny you say that too, right? So I think one of the reasons as a, a person that was a chef that I maybe don't have all the answers with resting is the fact of the matter is that level of resting doesn't work in a restaurant. No. Not in a restaurant no. that does a variety of food. Maybe no, if you're you in would a barbecue. Pump it up place. after, right? Like you'd rest it and then you'd heat it, you know, throw it, flash it, flash it, or or, or gravy would probably heat that right up. Right. Yeah. 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 Cheers. Um, but yeah, it's, it's actually kind of funny because I've I've had a few friends that when it comes to like you know more conventional barbecuing that I I you know. I'm not. I'm not great when it comes to a barbecue grill. I'm more like you know messing around the fire is mm. is fantastic, but understanding smokers and barbecue grill. That's why I think you guys could do a totally separate one in it. Yeah. Because, yeah and uh, actually, I have to smoke a brisket here in two weeks. I'm going to try it because I heard it can be done on be a, on a Weber barbecue. Oh yeah, I've I've read about that on the internet. Well, so I got two things, but now this is derailed me. Matt, you told me once that you smoked or did something. Basically the same idea, but you used your oven and you stuck a wooden spoon in it to maintain temperature. So I can see you doing that on a barbecue because you can keep a barbecue at what, 2, 250? Probably fairly easily. So you could do a brisket on 
on a barbecue. Yeah. So I was thinking like the two outside burners, middle outside burners on low, get a, a little uh, a pellet uh, or a smoker box in there to yeah. get it going. Keep it down low. Brisket in the middle. You've got your heat coming over. I used to uh, I, I used to smoke all of my meat in a barbecue, and I would take uh, uh, wood pellets, like wood chips, and soak them in hot water for you know a couple hours, get them nice and wet, and then take some really heavy duty tin foil and wrap it in two layers and put a big handful or a couple of handfuls in there and make a, a pouch, and then you'd set the that pouch down on top of the burner that's going. And then you have the burner to the, say, the right is on with a pouch on it. And then your meat's far to the left. And so that it just, like, smolders and steams. And it, well, we wrapped? The, and you the, poke holes in it? Or you uh, yeah, like just, a, just, a, just four holes. So, like, yeah, you seal it up as best you can right. so it didn't dry out the, uh, the, the, the smoker pack or whatever you're going to have it. And you just poke some fork holes in it to let it out. And then that's... I used to do that for a long, long time. And you just... For like cooking a a pork shoulder or something like that, you'd have two or three of those packs. And the key is to have if you don't have strong tin foil, have a lot of it because the the heat from the burner will burn through it. Yeah, I've got this little stainless steel box. Yeah, um, it's this yeah. ridiculous invention. Uh, used to was this box you could uh, you could um, use a hose clamp and attach it to the muffler of a motorcycle. Oh yeah, stick your lunch, stick your lunch in there. Go ride all day. And the uh, mufflers heated up your lunch. Pull up, pop it open. Each- <laughs> smoke, smoke with carbon dioxide. Yeah, it was, it was, it was ridiculous. So I, I never used it for that reason. But one day I was like, I was trying to smoke similar to what you just described, Matt. And, and I think I didn't have good enough foil. So I was like, I'm just going to drill a lot of holes in that thing and put all the smoking uh, materials in there. And it worked great. So pretty similar to what you're saying. The one question I do have for you is um, those foil packs that you you uh, were making? How how long were you given per foil pack? Like, could you give a rough estimate, or was it like, hey, smoke stop? I need to put that's, the new one. That's on. as far as I went. Yeah, you just you kind of watch it and you let the the smoke fizzle out, and then depending on what you're cooking, if it's like ribs, which are only going to go do for like three hours, you might do uh, one pack and then just let the, the the heat from the barbecue finish it off. Because you don't want to smoke too much, depending on how heavy and how big a holes you poke in it. So it's right. it more just like sitting around having a beer. You're like, oh, it's stopped. Okay. You grab some tongs and you pull the old pack out and put the new one in and keep going. So, Matt, I want to go back to the joke you made that my family would just fuck off and go to McDonald's. <laughs> and it's no joke. It's true. Yeah. So this is what I'm interested with you, Alan, now that... Uh, you have children is I've realized that I, I, I would put, because like you're very into cooking and I'd put effort into like, Oh, we're going to do lamb or fucking, I don't know, whatever I'd cook, you know, hour and a half, you know, you got like her potatoes and like roasted vegetables and they don't give a fuck. Like, I don't like it. And then they just fuck off. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's true. We'll come home and we have like, the hot dogs. He like heats up rice with like poison sauce and chicken and some broccoli, and they eat the whole thing. And I'm like, what the fuck is the point? Like, so I'm interested to see how much cooking you actually get done in the next years of your life. And I, think I mean, I-, I will say, my kids, like, if I cook a good steak with like chimichurri and just potatoes, 
gone. Absolutely delete it. But like anytime I put effort into like here's a fun recipe. Uh, my fuck wife you, Dad. My wife and I have talked about this a lot and I think it'll break my heart a little bit, but it's apparently how it is. Do you know, do you know how to make craft yeah. dinner? Oh, that's uh that's gonna evoke a lot of laughter in my house. I have like uh I have had a vendetta against that since I moved to Canada and the first person tried to feed me and I'm like, absolutely fucking not. <laughs> but now. Yeah, but what, what, uh, what'd you make what'd you make the other week for your kids, Matt? Pasta with butter and hot dogs? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Uh, see I bet if you look in like some it. old Italian cookbooks, there's probably something there where like butter pasta and uh, some form of sausage. I think you're uh, actually a classical Italian cook at heart. Oh yeah. 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 With, uh, with classic Schneider's wieners and uh, I, I boiled the wieners in the, in the pasta water to infuse the pasta with the sausage flavor. This is like, this is Heston Blumenthal, like, like next level gastronomy. He's going, he's going right out. Yeah. So I Alan, think, Alan, you're you're gonna probably you're gonna probably rethink eating that tailpipe on your motorcycle soon. <laughs> Sticking yeah. your whole face on it and driving. Yeah, just, I'm not gonna wait for this to cook. I'm just gonna eat this. Yeah, yeah. I do have a question for you, Alan, because I know I have my opinion, and I have friends that have their opinion, and I know there's probably no right answer, but I want a right answer. And you know, I, I love mean, a good opinion. Yeah. <laughs> Um, if as long as it's yours, it's your opinion. <laughs> um, if you're gonna cook a steak, yeah, is the best way to cook a steak in a pan or on a barbecue? Um, is there a third option straight on the open flame? That's a very different... Yeah, thing. sure. Yeah, on a grill or in a pan, I guess. And the grill could be the barbecue, because I guess it's technically an open plan. Okay, so you ask Alan, uh, how should he cook a steak on, uh, you know, July 27th? I'm like, you know, get your barbecue smoking hot. Salt and pepper. Let that thing sit out for a while. Oh, no, sorry, let that thing sit out for a while. Get to kind of room temperature. Salt and pepper. Get it on there. Get yourself a nice chair and uh, get it off. Let it rest. Great. If you're talking to Alan in January and he doesn't want to go out to the barbecue, but also knowing that cooking it in a pan is creating a very different flavor. If you cook in a cast iron pan and like you get that thing really nice and sealed and you're going really hot really quick, right? So you're getting that outside sealed and then you're reducing the heat getting some butter, getting some thyme and some rosemary in there, and then you're, like, kind of whipping the butter up over top of the steak. Basting. Basting, yeah. Um, you know, that... I'm fucking that, starving like, right that, now. Jesus Christ. That, <laughs> yeah, those are so good. That, that, I'm going to go that, upstairs. That's a that. way to make a really, really great steak that, like, tastes like it, tastes like it fits into winter. You know what I mean? Yeah. That whole, like, really char grilled and uh chimichurri yeah. you have that in a real cold day in the middle of winter and you're like this is nice it reminds me of summer i wish it was summer right now but that homely flavor of like a, a brown butter with thyme in it and everything doing it on a pan um in the winter that's where i go 
So Too bad none of us can afford steak. So I guess let me rephrase. How would you grill? How do you best grill? A hot dog. The single piece of lettuce. <laughs> yeah, a hot dog. A Schneider's, a Schneider's wiener. Well, it's important you A day you old you've picked out of the garbage. Yeah. It's important to turn that wiener 45 degrees to get nice crosshatch grill marks. <laughs> yeah. But. Spatchcock that, uh, that wiener so you get a, a hot dog steak. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. I guess another nugget on that, like, so yeah, like I, I mentioned with the, the meat thermometer there, like uh, how expensive meat is right now. And it's, it, I, I just, you know, when I was a chef, yeah, sure. I'll use the hand method because uh, I'm not paying for the food. The uh, restaurant is, and then the customer is, and you know, I'm going to do my damn best to get that right really quick. But I spent my hard earned money on buying this steak and I'm cooking it. And it's for me, I want it to be deadly accurate. So yeah, the price of meat right now is pretty insane. But the one thing I would want to say to everyone is that um, don't buy it at don't buy it at the grocery store. Like everybody takes for granted how how reasonable a good butcher is selling meat right now. Um, I know you go to one that's pretty insane. To be fair, I was going to say not reasonable. Uh, yeah, um, we'll do um, yeah. <laughs> I know I called Matt after I went there one day and I told him what I bought and how much I paid and he died. Yeah. Like he, he was, I heard him throw up. Yeah. I like, I, I, I just, I couldn't do it either there. Like, um, it, it's crazy, but like we, we go back to our old neighborhood in Crescent Heights and go over to Calgary meets all the time. And I guarantee you, you know, you buy yourself a really nice rib steak or ribeye or, or T-bone and, and look at that cost per pound and then go to co-op or go to Safeway. Um, it is damn close. Real, real close. And guaranteed that that steak you're pulling out of Calgary Meats there is going to be really special, really delicious. You're going to, like, be pretty happy. Whereas we know with grocery store steak, could be anything. Could be. Yeah. Could be phenomenal you could be like i would buy it here every week if it was this good and then you'll go next week and you basically buy the sole of a nike and (laughs) although at this point when safeway has like two for one steaks on i'm buying them yeah worst case scenario becomes a stir fry or something right (laughs) have you guys tried uh the the calgary co-ops have a dry aged meat counter they have like they dry age their own rib steaks in a cooler i've looked at them mm-hmm. they look fantastic i'm too scared to even think about how much a steak off there would cost but i've i've bought them i bought those from the midtown co-op and they're terrific i've also bought stuff at calgary meats and the calgary meat stuff is is better and comparable in price maybe even less right per, oh, yeah. per I, jody and i had the same experience we the the new grocery store down the road here or not the new renovated Safeway down the road has a dry ager and we're like oh you know we're gonna do it we like a good steak and you know it's the one thing with food that we will splash out on every now and again and we're just looking at that looking at the cost per pound and like thinking about what a steak usually is for us and we're like that, that's gonna be like $45 for a T-bone like yeah. ah we'll just go to Calgary Meats <laughs> we know it's good and we'll get our yeah. T-bone for you know I, I don't know, 25 to 30, and and you know, Jody's tiny, so 
the one good size, good pick cut T bone does the two of us, you know. So. Yeah. What about the uh, uh, the dry aged meat? the The weight of it is is so much less in from the start that they charge more per pound because they're making up for their wet age. But I've never, I can't even recall ever having a dry aged steak. So I'm just, I'm just curious as to if, if you guys have, the chef would know. I've never had one. Dry aging is relatively new. Hmm. You know, it's relatively new, but it, it's relatively new in one sense. But when, when I was uh, 16, I did work in a butcher, right? And uh, the thing there, uh, this guy used to ra- raise his own cattle and, you know, butcher them and, and bring them in. So the meat would come in and it was like, you know, it would come in and and he would uh, stock the, the big walk-in fridge in order of age of meat. And, you know, the stuff didn't get to the counter until it was, uh, stuff didn't get to the counter until it was 32 days old, I think. You know, and, and, and yeah. to be fair, it was backpacked. It wasn't hanging out and air drying in a, in a, kind of windy fridge environment because i think that's kind of how they do it it's like essentially like being dried out when you're out on a hike in the mountains or something but um you know it's 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 more about the time and i think people have said oh with dry aging you can push it that much much further with time so you know maybe maybe that's to do it but i've never had a dry age steak i've never had one i've heard all the great things about them but I know that if uh, you let a steak age properly, which a good butcher like Calgary Meats will do, you'll have a great steak, right? So I don't think that, I think it's gimmicky. I think it's gimmicky. It might fade away. Think so? Go ahead. What is one food that you wouldn't expect to be incredibly fantastic cooked over the fire? That I think, like the underdog of foods, you're like, let's put this on the fire, and it turns out to just like change, change everything. Um, I I think like I that's, that's a difficult question. If I had plenty of time to think about there it, there may I actually no be be no answer because I pulled it out of my ass. Yeah, if if I had time to think about it, I, maybe I could come up with something more original. But I'm going to go back to. Uh, the acorn squash thing, right? Yeah, fair. Yeah, you put a, you basically get an acorn squash, you sit it in beside the fire, keep it turning, and you know just check it with a fork, make sure it's it's cooking, it's getting soft, and in the end you uh, you can kind of cut the top off it, scoop out the seeds, um, and uh, put some goat's cheese in there, put some salt and pepper in there, put some uh, soft soft white crumbly goat's cheese, not the not the hard rindy stuff. Um, put some uh, arugula in there, salt and pepper. Mix that up, kind of scrape out the out the flesh of it. Mix it all up, and it's like it's it really good. good. It's, and it's good with the crucifixion chicken. Yeah, and I I like yeah. I like, so it sounds like a perfect. I, I like the fact that it's just like uh, you know you just stuck this whole vegetable on the side, kept it kind of moving, and then all of a sudden you've got this like. Uh, You've got this phenomenal side there in, in two minutes afterwards. Whip off the top, scoop out the stuff, you're good. Yeah, it's it's really good. Um, I don't think there's really, like, I think it's hard to argue Yeah. cooking on the fire. Like, it's just, I don't know, Matt, you don't do it because you think you're a shit cook. But I really uh, think you'd accept because 
you'd probably just apply your engineering brain to it. And you'd be like, oh, I found this. Like, literally, I figured out the thermodynamics behind cooking X on this fire with Y fuel and this amount of flame. I figured out how to cook something on yeah, a chimney like fire. A big lighter and one of those little USB fans and makes a steak for me. Like, so I was, really- I was listening yeah. to Alan talk about how his, his mind starts chooching when he's doing something like cooking on a fire and it's just like all these different things going together to like, you know, and he just like totally fires himself off doing it. To me, cooking doesn't do that for me. Other things do that for me, but cooking is... For me, kind of a means to an end. Uh, my wife is a really good cook, so Can I do that for you. Mm, well, there's definitely the end. So, uh, <laughs> it's a uh, yeah. My wife's a really good cook, so I don't even need to apply myself, and it's just fine because she's way better, <laughs> way better at it than I am. And you know, uh, I don't know. Here, how how about this, Michael? An interesting take in it, because right, so. What about the like? Because a big part of cooking on the fire, like I can cook something simple on the fire, but still get that very, that get that relaxing kind of, uh, um, relaxing kind of uh, feel from it and everything by way over managing the fire. So even just like, you know, your wife wants to cook something, like, hey, how about we do it on the fire? I'm gonna get you the perfect fire. I'm gonna get you the coals. Get that nice balanced heat. I don't know. Just throwing that out there, but I, 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 you know, as I mentioned, the snowboarding, the motorcycle riding, when you're just focused on something and not worried about the rest of the bullshit in the world, I, I, I like the thought of that. I like the thought of people getting that in a day, you know, just, just focused and focus on one thing and not worried about the bullshit. Matt's favorite part about cooking on the fire is eating the food, which he agrees is way fucking better. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't want to eating, manage the fire. While he's eating it, he's throwing 19 million pounds of firewood on the fire to, to make it like mat- visible from space. Yeah, it's a mat fire. That's that that's my good. goal. Yeah. Yeah. It's um which is fine. But I think you're excellent at like smoking things, like just nailing like the except the brisket, the the bacon all that. Like it's which which again, you know what? As I said, that, you know, people go, oh, you were a chef for six years. Like, tell me about smoking and barbecuing and stuff like that. Like, it's it's very different. Mm -hmm. So being good at that in itself is a great thing. Like, I'm, I am, like, I'm okay with the coal smoker now. I can manage the hell out of that. And it's hard work to get what I want out of it. Not, not consistent at all with hot smoking. So I think, you know, if you've got that down... Who cares about you? You got you got a uh, you got him to cook for cook shit for you on the fire right. or your wife or whatever. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, now that you're dead, and now that I'm alive again. Hey, uh, uh, so last time we went out, yeah. Alan, you tried to make a smash burger on the chapa, and I saw <laughs> I saw the moment your soul your soul death died. This is the moment I died. Yeah, and and so as you were explaining how you were so excited because you had this mentality of or this mental thought of what you were going to do and it was all created in the back of your head and then that it just like it flopped and it was still tasty but i just like i saw you die i've never actually yeah, seen somebody yeah. die in person before oh uh, yeah it was it was rough it was rough <laughs> i i knew how it was supposed to be and i watched that slip away yeah. to 
boiled meatballs. It was. That's what I remember you yelling that. I remember you yelling, I'm just boiling these <laughs> fucking things. It was great. So yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward yeah, to yeah. heading out again with you and trying a proper smash burger. Yeah, we had a we had a lot of a lot of variance in heat that day. That was the problem. Yes, we lost the consistency. Someone kept fucking with the fire. <laughs> you know what I'm looking forward to about having you back, Alan? Is not fucking with the fire. No, it's that it, there won't be room for Jade. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, boy, you're out. <sighs> that there's yeah. always room for Jade. <laughs> Although, I do think if any of us go camping, it, Alan's going to be the one that's warm. Because at the end of it, he's done it. He knows what he's doing. And the rest of us are going to be frozen popsicles. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll, we'll still you know that we didn't know how cots work? Yeah. Stupid fucks. Yeah. Yeah. We'll still be in that cockamimi summer tent. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, I think, I think uh, honestly... There, there's, there's a call for like sourcing that stuff as we hit into the, into the winter here. There's plenty of people that has all that crap and they start like getting rid of it come mm-hmm. October, November. Try to find it in October, November. Like, isn't that prime season though, or it's not like? Oh, you're right. You're right. It would be prime season because we're still hunting, right? So right after the hunting season, yeah. it's probably. So right after oh, we yeah. free, after we freeze like popsicles again, you have to go after that stuff in January. This is terrible. Right. You have you have to go after it in January because that's when everybody gets their Christmas credit card bills and they're like, "Oh fuck, yeah, Ooh, ditch it, ditch it." I've been watching uh, some of those wall tents up for sale, and they are like nobody's giving them up. They're expensive as all sin, and they're old and gross. And so the ones they're pulling out of storage, people are getting rid of, are still charging brand new dollars for and they're just wrecked how's about this what is the material canvas canvas oiled canvas there's probably a template who can sew <laughs> my wife is a sewing machine well, I, I, I i i know i know we're i know it's a bit out there but like that's the fucking thing like with a bit of bit of focused effort here it can't be too hard well, why wouldn't we just make it out of hides then do you have any hides? Or other tents. That's a what lot of hides. Like layer some tent. Why don't we make a tent ducking? <laughs> well, a little tent. One second. Wait, wait, bear with me here, right? So think about <laughs> the main, the main roof and the and the, and the walls of it, right? One sheet goes up over a pole, a loop on the top that you sew together down the other side, like maybe two loops on the side to run two. You poles could do through. a teepee. You could do TP as well, yeah. Have we looked at army surplus? Oh, I, you know we're, what? We're in Canada. That doesn't exist. Down in Inglewood. There's one in Inglewood. Yeah, just teasing. Oh, you know what? I'm going to go to the one in Inglewood. It's just down the street from my house. I'm gonna they go had a green They had a green tent out in the yard beside that hut, Scott. Oh, yeah, I bet you it's a jillion dollars. I'll go and those them. aren't the... I've, those aren't the ones. No. Oh. I've... I've in and use those ones. They're basically just gathering points. They're for setting up like a a command center. They're not heated. They're not. Oh. They're basically just to, I don't know, keep the rain off. Right. They're like yeah. an Amazon Basics tent in green. Uh. Well, no. With sides. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sides. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, I saw an outfitter's tent today that was, uh, it was pretty big. It was like eight by 16 with a stove and they wanted $1,700 for it. But the thing looked old, but a brand new tent was like three grand. So. Oh, really? Oh, that's not so bad. I thought they were like, you know, upwards of $10,000 or something. No, it's not that much. Um, The other thing, I, I don't know what a friend of mine uh, out in Canmore. He was a he was a mountain guide for years in in, uh, in the Rockies, and his big thing that he had, and he still camps in it to this day, is uh, one of those huge uh, North Face tents, the the ones they use on the Everest expeditions. But the deal with those is they're they're the the tent itself is really well sealed. It's double layered. It's it's a proper winter tent, but they still have exceptional sleeping bags right yeah so it's very comfortable yeah. sitting in there but you know yeah. i think i think we're just gonna have to put a tent in a tent like that's the that's the only way out of this problem i mean the the, the taj is big enough to take a couple of lesser tents maybe we each have a single tent inside the taj maybe cool, cool idea <laughs> I think uh, Darren's going to take that one away and chew on it yeah, a little let me, bit. Let me think on that one. <laughs> like a gristly uh, uh, store-bought yeah, steak? I'm not saying I'm going to spit it out, but... He's going to make a stir-fry out of it? Um, um, okay, well, uh, on that on that note, Alan, I want to say thanks for coming and not being dead anymore. Yeah. And, and actually wasting your time with us. That's... Yeah, congratulations I mean, on your newfound life. But for you, it was probably a total waste. Who would have thought talking talking shit about uh, cooking on a fire was what was going to bring me back to life? But here I am, alive and kicking in the flesh. So uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming. And uh, well, boys, I guess we'll just see you next time. All right. So, so long. Hey, nobody, don't forget to stalk us on YouTube, Instagram, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. The information and opinions within this broadcast are those solely of three guys who barely know how to tie their shoes, let alone do anything functional in the real world. They are not to be taken as advice or as actual instruction on how to do anything we've mentioned ever. That is the end of this disclaimer.